is Bible study training, um, and since it's relationship week, we're going to talk about dating Jesus. Uh, no, we're not. Um, uh, no, we're not doing that. Uh, what we're going to do today is, is get back to sort of the, the first week. We're talking about some foundational level ideas for studying the Bible. Uh, and today we have another one of those sort of foundational questions uh, about, about the Bible. So remember, two weeks ago, we sort of asked... Uh, what is our aim in Bible study? What, what are we hoping to accomplish when we actually sit down and open up the Word? And, and, and we saw that our goal, and this is sort of the title for all of our uh, series this summer, is, is renewing your mind. As you, you see the Word, uh, you see more of Christ, you understand the Gospel, and, and it transforms your mind, which leads to a transformed life. That's, that's, that's our goal in studying the Bible. And then last week, Larry showed us uh, just a, a tool or give us some tools for how do you actually go about studying the scriptures when you sit down uh, and you look at the inductive method doing observation, interpretation, and application. Um, and, and so this week we're going to, those first two weeks, uh, we've sort of assumed a, a question. Uh, we've assumed that the Bible is actually worth studying. We've sort of assumed that there's something inherently valuable uh, in the scriptures themselves that make them worth our time to, to devote an entire training session to, to sit down uh, at 6 o'clock every morning and get up and, and study them. Uh, we're assuming that there's something about the Bible uh, that makes it worth our time. So the, the question I want to answer today is why? What is the Bible? What makes it uh, so special uh, in the Christian life? And so we're going to ask that question, what is the Bible or, or why is it the, the Bible that we're so focused on? Uh, about, about a month ago, or maybe a few weeks before we left for project, uh, I, was, I was inside making dinner, Liam was outside playing with a friend next door, and, and Liam comes screaming through the kitchen, like running as fast as he can upstairs, I'm like, what is this kid doing? Uh, and he comes back down a few seconds later, uh, and he's got his Bible in his hand, he's got a little children's Bible in his hand, and he's running outside, I'm like, where are you going, bud? Uh, he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get us a thing, because he doesn't have a Bible. I was like, oh, that's, that's sweet. Uh, and we... This was like not prompted by anything. He was just like, I want to give my friend a Bible. So I'm like, all right, Dad's got to check this out. So, so he goes outside. He said, hey, Finn, like, here's a Bible. Uh, and he's like, what, what's a Bible? I'm like, oh, man, this is, like, my kid's about to be an evangelist better than I am. Um, and so he sits down and begins to explain, like, this is the Bible. Like, here's Jesus. And, and it's like got these pictures of, like, Here, here's Jesus. Here's Noah. Like, here's the serpent. Like, he, he tricked Adam. I'm like, this is awesome. He's walking through, like, the entire gospel story. Um, but, but that question, okay, a little six-year-old, innocently enough, just what is the Bible? Um, and I'm going to ask that question to you guys. If you had a, a neighbor, somebody in your dorm, or somebody next door, or somebody at, at work says, what is the Bible? Uh, how would you answer that? This is, what would you guys say? Just shout it out. It's the Word of God. What else? How would you describe it? What's that? I don't know what that is. Junior Bible quiz. Junior Bible quiz, sure. Uh, anybody else? <laughs> Something that we all can relate to. <laughs> anybody else? What is the Bible? Coffee kicking in. Best story ever. Best story ever. His story. His story. And his story. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let, let me propose this to you guys. The way you answer that question in, in your own mind 
Uh, what you say about the Bible, what it is, is going to set the trajectory for the rest of your Christian life. Uh, I, I think I say this is a foundation level question that, that the way you answer this uh, sets you on two separate trajectories uh, for the rest of your Christian life. That um, one will say, I'm going to trust the Bible and believe it. I'm going to submit to it. The other says, I'm going to let the Bible submit to me and to my judgment. We'll talk more about that. Uh, at the end, but the, the way you answer the question, what is the Bible, it is going to have a vast impact on the rest of your Christian walk. And, and I've got a, a little clip to, to illustrate um, this, this idea. Uh, the clip is from the movie Dead Poet Society. How many here have, have seen it? Okay, so not a lot. So let me give you some background. Uh, so this movie, uh, you don't even know a lot about it, uh, other than the fact that Robin Williams is a teacher at a prep school in, on the East Coast. Uh, he, he's just uh, arrived uh, as the English teacher. And so he's sitting down with his class, and, and they're opening up a book on one of the first days of class about understanding poetry. Uh, and the rest will be self-explanatory. There it is, guys. The opening paragraph of the preface, entitled Understanding Poetry. Understanding Poetry by Dr. J. Evans Pritchard, Ph.D. To fully understand poetry, we must first be fluent with its meter, rhymes, and figures of speech. Then ask two questions. One, how artfully has the objective of the poem been rendered? And two, how important is that objective? Question one rates the poem's perfection. Question two rates its importance. And once these questions have been answered, determining the poem's greatness becomes a relatively simple matter. If the poem's score for perfection is plotted on the horizontal of a graph, and its importance is plotted on the vertical, then calculating the total area of the poem yields the measure of its greatness. A sonnet by Byron might score high on the vertical, but only average on the horizontal. A Shakespearean sonnet, on the other hand, would score high both horizontally and vertically, yielding a massive total area, thereby revealing the poem to be truly great. As you proceed through the poetry in this book, practice this rating method. As your ability to evaluate poems in this manner grows, so will, so will your enjoyment and understanding of poetry. Rip it out! I won't do nothing but rip it! 
is not enough to watch that again. We, we won't do that. Um, so, so you get an idea uh, of what's going on in this scene, that, that Robin Williams uh, is bringing this understanding poetry book to them. Uh, and, and in the introduction, uh, J. Evans Pritchard uh, examines, okay, here, here's how you talk about poetry, and Robin Williams says, that is garbage. Rip it out of your books. I, I want nothing left of this idea of this man. And, and you understand that, that in doing that, you sort of have this expert authority in poetry saying, I, I disagree with this, so we're gonna remove it from a book on poetry. Um, and so I, I show this clip to, to ask the question of, is, is this how we approach our Bibles, that, that we, we, we have it and we say that there are just some things in here that, that I don't like, and so we're going to remove them. We're, we're going to take them out of the book and, and leave them in the, in the wake of history. Or do we come to the Bible and say, there's something else going on here that, that we have to submit to you. So, so what we want to do this morning uh, is, is turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Uh, and there's a lot of ways we could go um, to, to try to ask this question. Uh, but what I want to do is, is just simply let the Bible speak for itself uh, and see how does, how does the Bible understand itself? What, what, is, what do the scriptures claim to be? And then just ask the question, are we going to accept that claim or are we going to reject it? Um, and so while you guys are turning there, uh, some might have the objection, well, this is kind of circular reasoning, like you're saying... Like we're going to go to the Bible to see if we should trust the Bible. Uh, it, yes and no. It, it, it may be somewhat circular, uh, but, but I would actually say that uh, your other option would be uh, to, to say, or, or let, me, let me put it this way, to, to go to the scriptures uh, if it's not uh, what we claim to be the, the word of God, but simply men writing words down on a page, then we have to evaluate the words of those men. Uh, and I think you can apply uh, C.S. Lewis's Lord, Liar, Lunatic uh, sort of question uh, to this. So, so C.S. Lewis said, either Jesus was Lord, or he was lying, or he was crazy. I think you can sit, make the same comparison to the Bible, to, the, to what the authors said about the scriptures. Um, that either they're lying, and it isn't inspired, it isn't the word of God, or, or they're just crazy, uh, and we shouldn't listen to a word they have to say anyways, or they're, they're truthful, they're telling the truth. And so uh, I don't think it's wholly circular reasoning uh, to go to the scriptures. Um, I, I think we can, can evaluate what the scripture claims to be and, and simply accept it or reject it, and I'm hopefully going to lay out a case for it. Uh, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17 should be behind you. Uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy, sort of his, his son in the faith, uh, who's a, a young pastor uh, facing some opposition in his ministry. He says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, so this morning what I want to do is look at the six characteristics uh, of the scriptures that, that Paul lays out for us in this passage. Uh, and again, th this is a letter to Timothy who has th these false teachers uh, uh, surrounding him, trying to draw people 
away from the faith and, and oppressing Timothy. And, and Timothy is, is just perplexed and at his wit's end. So Paul's writing to encourage him. He's writing to encourage him to continue on in the faith. And, and so we're going to ask, how does Paul encourage Timothy? Uh, one of the ways is by showing uh, what Scripture is. Uh, and so, so we have six points about Scripture that Paul gives us. And I'm going to go quickly through these. Uh, it's Friday. It's been a long week. Uh, so don't hear six and be like, oh, this is going to be an hour long. No, we're going we're gonna to fly through these. Uh, but six principles about Scripture that we see uh, from 2 Timothy. The first principle is this, that Paul is claiming the Scriptures have a greater authority than the apostles. The Scriptures have a greater authority than the apostles. If you see what Paul's doing here in the opening verses, he's saying, Timothy, you continue on in what you have learned. And why does he tell him to do that? He says, first, remember who you learned it from. Remember that, that me, your mother, your grandmother, the other apostles have, have trained you and raised you up in the faith. We've taught you the gospel. And, and remember that that authority of, of overseeing the church and, and, and going forth with the gospel of the world has been given to us. Like, remember, like, Christ gave Peter the authority. Christ then gives him a vision to Paul, gives Paul the authority to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and, and so Paul is saying, remember who you learned this from. You, you've learned it from me, the, the one with the authority to, to teach the faith. But then what does he say? He says, and then remember how from a, a child you are acquainted with the sacred writings, with the scriptures. And, and why does Paul do that? Why does Paul say that? What he's doing is saying, you have what I've taught you, and remember that what I've taught you is, is in accord with the scriptures. So, so Paul is actually appealing to a, a greater authority to, to confirm what he's saying. Saying, here's the gospel that I've taught you. And you know that it's true because it's, it's in accordance with what you've learned as a child from the, from the scriptures. But Paul's saying, you don't believe me, at least believe what you've learned from the Bible. So, so Paul is appealing to the Bible as, as even more authority than himself. The scriptures have a greater authority than the apostles. Uh, and, and let me just, maybe one small point of application with this. Uh, a lot of us um, can, can get into what I call pastor says mode. Uh, like, like you have a question just about your faith or, or about uh, some point of doctrine or, or, or whatever it is, and, and you just say, well, pastor said this, and, and therefore I'm going to believe it. And, and I'm not saying don't listen to your pastors. What I'm saying is, though, that, that there is a greater authority that whatever your pastor says, whatever I say, whatever any of us tell you, uh, you have to say, is that in accordance with scripture and, and let scripture be, be the guide. If, if we're up here and we're teaching you and we're not showing this is how this is in accordance with the scriptures, uh, that, that we've not done our job, that, that everything that we tell and teach and proclaim and train people up in are, ought to be in line with the scriptures. And so my encouragement to you uh, is not to get into, well, pastor said mode or Ryan said mode, but, but actually the scriptures say and therefore, I'm going to believe. And our job is to help point you to those uh, and help draw out the truths of the scriptures, not simply take what we say at face value. So that's my encouragement to you. Even Paul himself appealed to a greater authority than the scriptures. Uh, point number two, the scriptures have the power for salvation. 
Uh, and this is something that I need to continually remember myself, especially when we're out doing evangelism. Like, I think I've got the best argument. Uh, I, I can share the bridge diagram. Uh, I, I can handle any type of rational thing that somebody throws my way and can just argue them into the kingdom. That, that's not the case. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that, that, that Scripture is the power for salvation. Uh, and we, we see that this power rests in God alone to save. And one of the ways he, he does that is using the Scriptures. Um, you know, we see that here in, in 2 Timothy, uh, but we also see it in, in the book of James in, in a lot of other places. Uh, but this should be on the screen. James 1, uh, 18 says that, you know, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's an idea of God, God bringing us out of darkness into light by his word of truth. And then later on, verse 21, he, he tells us to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So, so for James, for Paul, for for other places in the Bible, we see this idea that, that the scriptures, the, the gospel, are, is the power to save. And, and the way God does that is that you come, you either read it, or, or somebody tells you, and, and you hear it, and it sinks into your heart, and, and Lord opens your eyes and allows you to, to see that this is true. That the, the scriptures, the, the truth of who God is, the truth of the gospel, are where the power to save is. So, so we uh, can, can never argue people into the kingdom. We simply bring them to, to the truth. We bring them to the scriptures. We bring the gospel to bear on their lives. And then the Lord does the work to awaken them, to allow them to actually see it and, and believe it and allow it to take root in them and, and bring them forth into salvation. So, so Paul, Paul says that the scriptures are the power for salvation. And hopefully this gives you hope as you share your faith as, as you're on the beach that you say, it's not me having to have the best argument. I simply have to have the gospel. I, I simply have to have the, the word of truth and, and, and tell people what it is, and the Lord will use that and, and do the rest. That so the Spirit will be at work through that message of the gospel and take care of the rest. So uh, that's the second thing we see, that, that the scriptures are the power for salvation. Uh, the third point, one of the ways that they are the power of salvation is the point to Christ. Uh, the, the, the entire story from beginning to end is pointing us towards the gospel and pointing us towards our need of a savior. Even back in the garden, uh, we're seeing that what we need is to come to Christ. That, 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 that is where everything is leading to and stemming from is Jesus. Uh, I don't know if how, you, how many of you are familiar with the, the road to Emmaus story in Luke uh, 24. I mean, this is after the resurrection. Uh, some of Jesus' disciples are, are walking down this road uh, to a town called Emmaus. And, and they're just sullen. They're, they're so depressed. Like, Jesus has died. What are we going to do? Uh, and so they're walking, and, and Jesus uh, comes to them. They don't recognize him at first. Uh, and he asks them, you know, what are you doing? What's going on? Uh, and they're just, oh, we're just devastated. Don't you know what's happening? Uh, so, so Jesus walks with them a little bit. Uh, and, and then he, he opens their eyes. He, he reveals himself to them, and, and they're just awestruck. Uh, and, and then Luke says this, uh, Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They, they had no idea 
that, that the Messiah was supposed to die on a cross for their sins. That, that was just, uh, we've talked about this in Ephesians, like a mystery that was hidden that's now been revealed. Like, that they just didn't get it. And, and so you can just imagine Jesus pointing to all the places in the Old Testament uh, all of uh, the, the Moses and the prophets interpreting these things, saying this is what was going to happen. You can just imagine Jesus like saying, "Look at Genesis. Like, look, look in the garden. Uh, even before that, look, look at the creation of the world. Like, I was there speaking that into existence with my Father. And and look at the fall. Like this, this promise of one's going to crush the serpent. That, that's me. And look at the promises to Abraham, his offspring that will bless the world. That was talking about me. Like, look at, look at the prophets. that the, They're waiting for someone to rescue them from exile. Like, that was speaking about me. You just imagine him showing all of the disciples all through the Old Testament, everything, saying, this is pointing to me. This is looking forward to, to what I was coming to do. All of the scriptures point us to Christ or remind us of Christ or our need for a savior, uh, that, that every page reminds us that, that we're fallen and that we need a, a savior in the cross, that, that all of scripture is pointing to this man and what he has done. And that's where really the, the power to save comes from, is showing people their sin and showing them the mercy and love of God to save them on the cross. That was weird. Um, my, my computer's probably updating right now. Awesome. Um, number four. I should have turned that all off. I'm sorry. Uh, number four. Uh, scripture is profitable for renewal. Uh, and I'm not going to talk a lot about this. We talked about this uh, two weeks ago. Um, that, that how The way scripture works to renew our minds as we come to it and we see Jesus and, and we see uh, who he is that transforms us. Uh, but you see Paul saying that all of Scripture is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the more you look into the mirror of the Scriptures, the more you see the truth of the Gospel and, and who we are and, and who God is, but the more it, it, it shapes you and, and renews you. That the more you see Christ, the more you begin to look like Him. That, and again, that, that's something we're not going to talk more about because we looked at that two weeks ago. Um, but, but let me just reemphasize the, the, the point of that is that, that if you want to fight sin, if you want to be trained in righteousness, if you want to, to have your life shaped, uh, then, then the way you do that, the way you fight that sin is by going to the scriptures and, and burying that truth of the gospel into your heart and attacking sin at the root. That that, that is the way that scripture works as being profitable for renewal. The fifth thing we see about Scripture is this, that it equips God's workers. That Paul says that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Uh, that phrase, the man of God, uh, is an allusion to sort of the Old Testament, the title that was often given to the prophets. So, so God's messengers uh, would be called the men of God. So, so what Paul is saying, especially if you think about it, he's writing to Timothy. So Timothy, you're, you're a preacher, you're an evangelist. Uh, you're a man of God. You're going into the world to tell people about the gospel. You're God's messenger. And so if you want to be equipped, if you want to be uh, capable uh, in that work of being God's messenger, you go to the scriptures. You, you let them train you and, and correct you first. Uh, and then you take that message out into the world. If you want to be effective at continuing on your ministry, he says, remember the scriptures. Look to those. Let those 
train you so that you might be equipped to do your work. Paul is trying to get Timothy to do something, right? That, that he wants Timothy to, to stay the course in his ministry. He wants him to stay the course in his evangelism. Uh, and so the way he does that is, is he points him back to the scriptures. He says, don't forget what you have in the Bible that it will equip you to do your work. And so I have to say this again to you guys, uh, not pastors, but for people who are, are tasked with going forth and, and spreading the gospel, uh, if you want to be equipped for that good work, uh, if you want to be an equipped messenger, the way you do that is to find your strength in the scriptures. If you want courage to, to share your faith, if you want to overcome temptations to, to lust, or if you want to change the, the negative image you have of yourself, the way you do these things is through the power of the scriptures, let, letting God work through the, the, the Bible to, to penetrate into your heart and to transform you and renew you. That, that looking to the Bible is the way you equip the messengers of God's workers. So those are the first five things we see. Uh, the sixth thing we see is the scriptures of God breathed. And, and this is, I think, uh, the most important aspect that we're going to look at today. So I'm going to spend more time on that. Um, th this idea that, that all scripture is breathed out by God. Or, or some, some Bibles will say all scripture is inspired by God. Um, that, that the Greek word for inspired or God breathed is, is literally theonoustos. It's, it's sort of a combination of two words. Uh, theos meaning God. And, and pneumos meaning breath. Uh, so, so literally it's saying that, that all of the Bible, every word of it is, is God's breath sort of breathing out onto the page. And so you, you can get this, this image in your head that, that as the author sat down uh, to, to write out the Bible, uh, as they're writing, it, it's, it's as if God himself is breathing his words onto the page, that he's sort of speaking his words onto the page as the author's right, that there's somehow a, a, a link, some, some work of the spirit that, that, that Paul is not like in a trance, just um, writing and whatever comes out is, is it, but, but he, he's using his mind, uh, he, he's using his faculties to, to write, but as he writes, it's as if God himself is, is breathing the words onto the page that, and like I said, this is the most important thing for us to understand that, that the words on the page, the, the words of the Bible, the question is whose words are they? Well, well yeah, they're, they're Paul's, but, but more than that, they are God's very words himself. Like I said, this is going to be important because this is going to set the trajectory for, for the rest of, of your faith. That, that you have to ask this question, is is the, the words of the Bible, are they God's words? Uh, do you remember, uh, Peter says this in Second Peter uh, chapter 1. It says that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so again, you see this idea that, that men speak, but as they speak, that they're being carried along by the Holy Spirit, so, so that as they speak, they can say, thus says the Lord. That, that there is a work between the actual author or the prophet uh, and, and the spirit to say, this is what God has to say. And, and we have to, to come to that question of saying, is this 
God's word or, or is it simply man's word? Um, and I think we see the scripture saying this is God's word. This is the very words of God himself. Uh, there, there are a lot of times that, that I wish, like, I, I just wish I lived, like, in Jesus' day. So I just, like, sit and, like, hear him and, and, and ask him questions. Like, you ever have, like, the, like, get to know you icebreakers? So like, if you could have dinner with anybody in history, who would it be? But don't say Jesus, because we all would probably say Jesus. Because uh, we just want to talk with him, to, to, to hear from him, to ask questions and say, what would you say to this? But... Do we understand that when you come to the Bible, you literally get the, the words of Jesus. It, I kind of joke, like, we're going to talk about dating Jesus. But it's kind of like you're sitting down to have a conversation with, with Jesus or with God himself. Uh, when you come to the Bible, there's very words that you can, you can ask questions of the Bible and say, what, what do I believe about this? Or how do, I, how do I change this in my life? And you can come to the scripture and have God himself tell you, Here's what you need to know, that these are literally the very words of Jesus himself. I think that's comforting, that that we don't have to go back in time to to actually hear from Jesus. Like, yes, it would have been cool to maybe ask some questions and get get him to respond back or to see him and, and, and follow him. But the reality is we still have his very words for us today. These are the very words out of God's own mouth. And if they're God's words, if every word on the page is breathed out by God, then the question is, how does that change the way we think about the Bible? How does that inform the way we understand what the scriptures are? And again, this is the question we asked at the beginning. What is the Bible? Uh, If God is perfect, God is holy, uh, he doesn't lie, if he's able to do all that he wills, uh, if, if, if anything he desires comes to pass, if, if he is trustworthy, if he's good, and, and these are his words, then what does that say about the trust that we can have in them? It, it tells us that, that we know that, that these are the very words, that every word was precisely intended, the way it was written, to be on that page, so that it is the very word of God, that it then is perfect, it is trustworthy, it is true. And so here's the question we have. Again, I said at the beginning, the question we're going to have is, is do we believe that? Do we believe that every word on the page is true and trustworthy? Or do we have a category where we say, maybe not. Maybe the Bible does have errors. Maybe the Bible isn't completely accurate. Maybe the Bible isn't actually true or the best way to live. And it may seem harmless enough to say, well, I just don't know. Like, maybe you got a few things wrong here. Uh, but, but like I said, you're, you're setting, the way you answer that question is setting you on two separate trajectories. Uh, the, and you may say, well, is there harm in just maybe like it's 98% true? Is, is there harm in thinking that way? Uh, I, I think there is. I, I think there's, there are problems in thinking that way. Um, and this, this question of the truthfulness of Scripture, theologians will call it uh, the inerrancy of Scripture, your $10 uh, theological word today. The, the inerrancy, meaning that there's, just, there's no errors in the Bible, that all of it is true and trustworthy. Um, 
And, and there's some of you probably here thinking, like, for the first time, I've never heard about this, and I'm not sure what to think about it. Um, again, let me encourage you to think that uh, as confusing as it might seem, uh, or, or as hard as it is to believe sometimes, that, that what we say about the Bible is going to be uh, very important. That, that uh, when it comes to the idea of inerrancy, uh, I think it's one that we have to defend, and we have to defend wholly. And let me give you a few reasons why. Uh, the, the first is this. If the Bible is God-breathed, if it, if it is inspired by God, uh, and you're willing to say it contains errors, I think the first question that comes to mind is, how do those errors come into being? If they're God's very words, and God spoke them through his prophets and through his apostles, uh, and then to say that they're wrong, you either have to say that, that God was wrong in giving us those words, or that he was incapable of producing the words that he wanted. So, so, so you're, you're beginning to open up the Bible and say, I, I don't think it's 100% accurate. And then the question we have to ask, answer is, how does inaccuracy come? And you have really two options. Either that God was wrong to give us those words, or that he was incapable of giving the ones he wanted. And that, that's the first question that you have to have for yourself. Uh, the second, I think the bigger question, this is where, where we get into trouble, uh, is that if you're going to allow for the possibility of errors, if, if you're going to, to open up the Bible to say, well, we can make it better and correct it, uh, how do you know which parts are true and which aren't? How, how do you know which, which passages to remove and which ones need to remain? Uh, Thomas Jefferson, either famously or infamously, uh, took a pair of scissors to his Bible and cut out all the miracles because he just said, that's just something that, that's not possible. And so uh, I'm going to still have a Bible laying around that I can read and go to, but I'm gonna, he literally cut out the miracles from his Bible. Uh, well, well, how do you know? How, how do you know that the miracles are what needs to go? Maybe, maybe the miracles stay because you know, God's powerful enough to do that, but, but maybe the commands about sexual ethics need to go because those are dated and, and backwards. Or, or maybe uh, we, we need to remove the idea of hell because that, a, a loving God wouldn't, wouldn't send people to hell. Uh, or, or maybe it, it's you know, whatever uh, fancy of yours of the day is, uh, the, the question is, how do you know? If you're willing to say that the Bible is wrong, well, well how do you know which parts to remove, which parts are wrong. Uh, the problem with that is then the Bible just becomes subjective. And, and the parts that remain are simply the parts that you think are good enough to remain. And, and it's, it's, I talked about this earlier, it's a, a reversal of authority is what it comes down to. Uh, it's to, to no longer say like the Bible is, is true and I'm going to receive it and I'm going to let it be my guide for, for how I ought to live. But instead, I, I come to the Bible and I get to decide for it what is right and wrong. That, that there's a, a reversal of authority. As soon as you say, as soon as you open up the category for, for error, to, to say the Bible is wrong, it, you become the master of the scriptures. You, you become the one who is sort of the authority figure to say what is right and wrong. And it's not God. There, there's a reversal of authority as soon as we answer. This is why I said this is a, a foundation level question and one that will set the trajectory. 
And, and, and you may, you know, just say, okay, I, I think uh, the Bible's only a little bit wrong. And, and you may not wander very far from orthodoxy, and, and that's good. But, but historically speaking, uh, if you look at every uh, denomination that, that has questioned this teaching of the inerrancy of Scripture, that they have not just sort of just stayed alongside what they have gone off into all, all sorts of crazy heresy and, and false teaching and are losing the gospel day by day. That, that this is sort of the first domino to fall in a long line of, of dominoes down the road where you just begin to wander ever so slightly away from the faith. This is why I say this is uh, historically a foundation level question for the believer. And again, it's because it's a question of authority. Who gets to determine what is right and wrong? Who gets to determine how we ought to live our lives? Either, either the Bible it sits over us and, and we receive it and, and, and submit to it, or we say the Bible has to submit to us. We sort of become like Robin Williams in the clip in the beginning saying, this, this is excrement, we're going to rip it out. And so that's the question for us. It's one of authority, and it's one that sets the trajectory for you for the rest of your life. Once you open up the Bible to, to, to criticism, it's no longer God speaking to us, but it's us speaking back to God. And so that's why I, I want to argue, and, and hopefully we see that, that we, we have to say that the Bible is God's very word breathed out by him. Every word on the page is true and is good, is accurate. It is, it is powerful for salvation. It points us to Christ. It, it shapes our lives and is profitable for us. And we accept it and trust it and trust the one who gave it to us. He will use it then to show us more of himself and lead us to eternal life. Uh, with that, let me pray. Uh, then we'll take a quick break before the workshop. Uh, Lord, uh, we do thank you for your word. And, and this is a, a weighty and heavy concept. And so I pray that you would help us to, to understand it, but more than that, to believe it, to, to say that your word is truth, and your word is powerful, and your word is able to save to the uttermost. And so I pray that uh, as we walk away today, we'd be more convinced of its goodness more convinced of its truthfulness, more convinced of its power, more convinced of its profitability for us in our lives. So would you do that work in us, we pray. Amen. Um, all right, guys, uh, what we're going to do, take, we're going to take a five-minute break, uh, sort of let sort of all that settle. Uh, if you have more questions, like, I wanted to do this quickly because it's been a long week. I'm happy to sit around afterwards and talk. Uh, we can talk about this more at Theology Time on Sunday, too, if you want. Uh, like I said, this is a very important topic. It's, it's, it's one, like I said, it's, it's foundational. So I don't want you uh, to walk away sort of with questions that, that weren't clear. Uh, so like I said, if you have any questions, uh, find me afterwards. Find a staff person, uh, and we'd love to talk more about you and more about this with you.